0: We are looking at uh, the third session in our series of studies in the book of Ezra, and we are looking at chapter three. Many years ago, I read uh, the incident about a pastor who was uh, caught in adultery with his secretary. And uh, when he went for counseling, they asked him this question. Is this the first time that you have done something like this? So he said, yes, this is the first time, but I've thought about it earlier. Many times I have thought about it earlier. (coughs) This evening, when you're looking at this particular chapter, you must remember that they have been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. The prime reason for that is because during those 490 years earlier, they had not kept the sabbath year of rest so as a result for 490 years one year for every 7 years would have been in you know, this 70 years <coughs> for every 10 years sorry it would have been uh, 70 years and as a result you know you, know, you have slowly 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 forgotten me but I have not forgotten what you are doing, and as a result, I will send you into captivity for seventy years. but I will definitely remember to bring you back. And he prophesied all these things much earlier, as we have looked at so far, through Jeremiah, you know it was already prophesied that King Cyrus would issue this you know, decree much, much before all these things came into existence. Now we must remember you know, that uh, Collapse in the Christian life is seldom a blowout. It is usually a slow leak. In other words, when you look back into your Christian life, when you started your walk with God, there would have definitely been a lot of excitement. But if you consider your life today, if you feel that you you have become lukewarm, if you feel that things are not as it was earlier. The chances are, it is not that something suddenly happened and you know, you just you know, went away. It has been a slow leak over the years. It has been a slow drifting you know, over the years. And that is what has happened to the children of Israel. For 90 years, slow, 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 slow drifting till finally God said, okay, enough, you know, I'm going to send you into captivity because I love you. This evening, as we look at this passage, I want us to analyze our lives, our walk with God. Has there been a drifting away from our roots, our foundation to know him? And today, have we slowly in little, little ways, you know, disobeyed him and thought it is okay, it is okay, it is okay. And as a result, today, we find in a, ourselves in a position where we are no longer on fire as it was when we first started out. If that's the case, this passage has a lot of lessons for us to do uh, for us to learn. Primary lessons is that God gives us a second chance. God gives us a new beginning. So this evening, whatever state you would be in your Christian life, you can always start anew. you can start afresh. You can make sure that you do not drift away because as time closes in before Christ coming back again, he wants us to be ready for him. He is preparing a bride, ready, pure, and that should be our heart's desire. Now it is interesting that Ezra wrote nothing about the long trip from Babylon to Jerusalem. We said around 1,500 kilometers, around 1,000 miles, And you know, they have been there on the road for four months, okay, four months of travel. But Ezra writes nothing about it whatsoever. Similar to in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 5, when Moses, you know, writes about Abraham and Sarah's journey to Canaan, it says, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. Okay. They went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. A well-known commentator says, it's a strange narrative of a journey which omits the journey altogether and notes but its beginning and its end. Are these not the main points in every life? Its direction and its attainment. Surely, these should be the two most important aspects of our life. The beginning of our journey and the end of our journey. The journey, we are going through that journey right now. That is not the key thing. The key thing is not how you started out. The key thing is how we are going to end it. When God calls us home, would we be found ready and waiting? Or would we say, I'm so sorry, I've drifted away, I'm not really ready. So this should be our heart's desire. Lord, I want to end well. When my time is up, when you call me home, I want you to be, I want to be an individual who says, Lord, I'm waiting, I am ready. Remember, it is possible to end with a saved soul and a ruined testimony. It is possible for a person to end with a saved soul and a ruined testimony. That is why as we grow older, our heart's desire should be always, sinner. Lord, help me to end well. Help me never to bring shame to your name. Help me never to dishonor your name. Lord, in these years that you have given to me, help me to love you and serve you even more, even more. Now, This should be our prayer. This is just our our, uh, introduction to our study this evening, you know, asking us to evaluate our own lives and find out, have we drifted away? And if we have drifted away this evening, the Lord's message is, hey, you can have a new beginning. You can have a new beginning. Just as much as God gave the children of Israel (coughs) a new beginning, an opportunity to start again, an opportunity. To start again. Verse 1 tells us, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man <coughs> in Jerusalem. Remember, we said last time there was only 50,000 people who had responded to this opportunity. Now, that's the sad part of it. God gives us opportunity to come back to him. Even in these last two years of pandemic and all that has taken place, I believe this is just God's call to us to say, hey, check up on your Christian life, check up on your spiritual life. Is all well with you. God gives us opportunities, and as long as there is life, there is hope. God gives us opportunities. But do we respond to that? Only 50,000 people out of that whole group responded to this second opportunity. And now when this second opportunity for a new beginning came, this is what we read in verse 1 of chapter 3. They says, seven months have gone by. They have come into this place you know, in obedience, the list, the genealogy, you know, the the list of people who have come and all that is noted down. And after they have done that, you know, they have uh, uh, now." given the will offerings, they go back to their homes, and then if you notice the scripture tells us, they come back again to set up the temple. Can you try and enter into the thoughts of these people who came back, you know? I think it's the next slide. Can you think of, you know, the thoughts of these people who came back, you know, They have come from maybe very good buildings, Babylon I'm sure would have had, you know, a good architecture. They have come from that type of a a setup and they're standing in a ruined city, a desecrated temple in the very place where God had chosen to reveal his glory. Now, this is going to be a, a new beginning, a new opportunity. In other words, whatever your position may be today, what ruin, what desecration, what type of uh, uh, going away, God says, okay, now you have come back, you have decided to take that step to make sure that you get right with God. I'm now giving you that opportunity to start all over again. Now, when we take that step, you know, when we take that step, the first thing that you notice that uh, the Jews decided to do was to rebuild the altar, was to rebuild the altar. Now, 50,000 people together from different, different tribes, different backgrounds would not have been an easy task to stay together, isn't it, you know? There would have definitely been issues, problems, but what united them together right from the very beginning was, hey, we need to put an altar, start with that altar. And that is the key thing. An altar symbolizes worship. An altar also symbolizes, you know, sacrifice. You know. They did not say, you know, let's build a temple first. They said, no, no, let's build the altar first, a small thing. But they said, let's build the altar first. It is better to begin small with God. It is better to begin small than not to begin at all, you know. If you notice, a lot of people take decisions in the beginning of the year to say, I want to read the Bible through. But they never start it. They never start the process. Start the process. Begin small. And when you begin to do that in that small way, because your heart is saying, I want to renew, build up my relationship with God. When you take that first step, then it is going to be good for the rest of the year, good for the future. It is definitely better to rejoice over that little step that you have taken rather than weep over, you know, oh, I messed it up. So this evening definitely is a good opportunity for us to evaluate our spiritual walk and to make that decision if in case things have become loose and slack in our spiritual walk, that we will turn to him and say, Lord, number one. I want to build up the altar. What is the altar? The worship was restored, we find, in verses 1 to 6. Do you remember what happens on the seventh month on the Jewish religious calendar? This was the Day of Atonement, the holiest day of the year. Now, this was also called as the New Year for them. It was also called as Rosh Hashanah. This was also the month that they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. When they remembered the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, all this had a lot of significance. you know. So this is why on this particular day, they remembered even for 70 years they had not done all that. Now all that came back to their mind and says, hey, this is what used to happen. And we used to observe this. So they said, we will start off with this. So they begin by rebuilding the altar so that sacrifices and offerings can once again be made to the God of Israel in Jerusalem, okay? So that is the first thing that they did. Now remember, the first thing, you know, is all, the difficult part is always to get started, you know. Let me ask you this evening about your uh, uh, family altar, okay? Do you have a family altar in your homes? Is that a, a regular thing? It doesn't have to be a long drawn-out affair, the time that you spend together focusing your dependency on God, focusing on your time that you're going to spend with God, to set that into a regular routine. Remember in the Old Testament, we find that Abraham built an altar to the Lord immediately after entering the land for the first time. Joshua likewise built an altar to the Lord after entering the land following the Exodus, and here this remnant also, as soon as they come to this place, the first order of business is to set up the altar. To set up the altar. Now, is that the first thing that you do? The first thing that you do when you get up in the morning is to spend time with God. The altar, is that the first thing? Is that the last thing that you do before going to bed? Or is the altar forgotten? This evening again, think again, you know, worship has to be restored. The altar has to become the central, you know, small beginnings, but it is the key thing for genuine worship to be restored. What was the first thing that Elijah did as he challenged the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? In 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 30, we read, the Bible says, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. The people had to get back into right relationship, and that required repairing the altar that was broken. So, if the altar is broken in your life, first thing is repair the altar, restore that time with God, and make sure that worship becomes the top priority. Now, there was a couple of things about this worship. Number one it was you know, appropriate, you know, it was appropriate. You know, verse 3 tells us they offered burnt offerings to the Lord. They offered burnt offerings to the Lord. This is what was required. So they made sure that at this altar, they started out with the burnt offerings, with the sacrifice. And I remember in the New Testament, we read about how Jesus you know, has become a perfect sacrifice and our worship today is built on that fact. It's built on the cross. Why do we have a family altar? We look back on what Christ has done for us, which has given us an opportunity to have that vital relationship with him. So the appropriateness of this worship is we come before God, not on the basis of who we are, but on the basis of what Christ has done for us. the cross. And that's what they did. They offered the sacrifices. Old Testament times, that was the appropriate thing. New Testament times, we don't come offering other sacrifices. We come before God on the basis of the sacrifice that has already been done. So our altar is actually an altar of remembrance. We remember. Even when you come to the, the table or the Lord's Supper, you know, there's no fresh sacrifice. We are remembering what God has already done for us in Christ. That is the appropriateness of this worship. Even when you participate at the communion table, remember that, that's the remembrance. You're not doing any further sacrifices. You're only remembering with thanksgiving that you don't deserve to come into his presence, but God has made it possible, so you are grateful. Secondly, (laughs) there was an authority about this worship. It says in verse 2, as it was written in the law of Moses. In other words, you you know, they did that burnt offerings because the law required it. And our worship is grounded definitely on the cross and it is guided by the word of God. Jesus mentioned very clearly, isn't it? How should we worship him today? They who come to him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That is genuine worship. And we follow the practices in scripture. We don't offer those rituals, but it is a purpose behind it that really matters. What does the Bible say? What should be the key thing in our worship? How do we come to him? What should be the ingredients in the worship? What should be the order in the worship? All that we need to follow on the basis of God's word, not on the basis of what people think will be attract more people, or on the basis of what people say should be there, our authority on worship has to be what God's word says. And that's what these individuals did, according to what Moses had written in the law. We are living in an age where so many innovations are being brought into the worship of God. Worship today, if you notice, has become more of an entertainment than a genuine worship. But we must be careful that we make sure that genuine worship which is primarily about giving to God and not about getting from God so that we would come back from the worship service recognizing that we have had an encounter with him. Now that is what worship is all about and we must make sure that we don't get caught up with all the fancy additions of worship, with all the the fanfare of worship and forget about who we are worshiping. It must be according to the standards and authority of God's word. Thirdly, we find that there was a regularity about this worship. They offered the burnt offerings morning and evening. That's what verse 3 tells us. And verse 4 tells us they offered the daily burnt offerings. So they offered these burnt offerings, yes, according to the law, but they also offered it morning and evening. That's a regularity. I wonder if you remember, you know, in our country, in our city, where there was church services, both morning and evening, okay? Then once television came in, you know, the evening services slowly took a backseat. And especially Sunday evening specials, people said we are going to sit at home. And slowly most churches stopped the Sunday evening service altogether. And in these last two days, with all the pandemic that has taken place, you know, with all the online services that have taken place. Now, even if the offline services would be restored, you know, the question is how many people will get back, you know. Is this your heart's desire? I want to be regular in my worship. Online service pattern is you say, okay, not this time, I will watch some other time. You know, there's no regularity. The scripture tells us about a regularity about our worship. We must make sure that we put the day set apart for the Lord the time set apart for the Lord as well. <laughs> we must make sure about this. Fourthly, we find that there was a unity about this worship. There was a unity. In chapter you know, one uh, chapter 3, verse 1, we find that they gathered together. In verse 9, we find that they stood together. In verse 11, we find that they worshipped together. 50,000 people standing together as one. If you notice, this is what is spoken of in the early church, isn't it? When the day of Pentecost was come, they were all with one accord in one place. One accord in one, one place. And that's the key for the, uh, during the you know, early church. When the Lord used them daily, people were added to the church. Why? They were with one accord in one place. And that's the unity about worship. When we come before him, we recognize that we are part of a body. And if this is our attitude to worship, you know, we recognize we are part, and you know, members of each other, it's a family. It is not a meeting that we just attend and come back and say, oh, I have done my attendance for today. No, no. The unity of the worship is recognizing that this is one body. We are part of a body. And if one body suffers, everybody suffers together. If one body body part of the body rejoices, everyone rejoices. So the worship was restored. That's what we read in the first six verses. Then from verses seven to nine, we read about how they started now building. Okay. Work was now resumed. Now people say work is worship. No, no, no. You know, worship will lead to work. Worship will lead to work. There are people today who put all the emphasis on only worship. You know, in other words, in a church in a service, the whole focus is only worship. Okay, there is no time for the word, or there is no time for the ministry with each other to encourage one another. You know, on the other hand, there are some people who put focus on all the working. You know, but there is no worshiping whatsoever. There has to be that. You know, both together. Worship is there. Worship leads to. Working, okay. Remember in the New Testament, there's a classic example of Mary and Martha, isn't it? One person symbolizing work and the other person symbolizing worship. You know? Try and picture it for that for a moment. They know Jesus is coming. So both of them, Mary and Martha and others are in the kitchen, busy working, getting things together. May, you know, Jesus arrives, you know. Mary comes now and sits at you know, Jesus' feet, you know. And as a result, Martha is very, very upset. Okay, so the question often people ask is, "You know, how can we be a Mary in a Martha world? There's so much work to be done. Where's the time for worship?" And oftentimes, you may also think like that. You know, worship is put to a second place, or our quiet time is, you know, in a pushed away because there's so much work to be done. Where's the time for, you know, all that? No, no, no. We must start with that. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? Jesus said to Mary and to Martha that Mary has done the best thing, you know, the important thing. So, if you are considering worship to be restored, we must make sure that that regularity of the worship is there, and we must make sure that the work does not take precedence over the worship. The worship should lead to the work. Make sure. That you never give up your time with God because you have too much work on your hands, okay? I think it was John Wesley who mentioned, you know, that uh, if I have so much work to be done today, then I have to spend so much more time before that, you know. Worship before work is definitely important, okay? So worship must come before work. Your work will never be effective unless your worship is effective because when we worship the Lord, then you'll want to work for Him. Now, how was this work you know, started up? First of all, you know, the commencement of the work. You know, it says you know, in verse six, you know, they were going to lay the foundation of the temple. They were going to lay the foundation of the temple. You know when it says in those verses, but the foundation had not been laid And then, you know, when the foundation was laid, there was the rejoicing. So, the starting of the work was primarily to lay the foundation. And that's simple truth, isn't it? If you have to start a building, you start with the foundation. Foundations are very, very important. Remember, Jesus spoke about the wise man and the foolish man. Foundations are very important. Psalm 11 and verse 3 tells us, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Today I believe there is a a battle. A battle for what? For the basic foundations. So many people Do not know the basic foundations of the Christian faith. And as a result, we hear of many individuals today, especially in the Western world, you know, individuals have been in ministry maybe for many years. Now suddenly they turn around and say, I do no longer believe in Christianity. What do you mean? What happened to your foundations? Because there were no foundations whatsoever. You know, there were no foundations whatsoever. Basic foundations of, you know, Why you believe what you believe is very, very essential. So if you have drifted away from the faith, if you have drifted away from your relationship with God, maybe your foundations have not really been strong. You need to get back. And that is the first important thing that you need to do. Get back to the foundations of the Christian life and make sure that they are solid. Make sure that they are solid. Okay. A lot of people today say, oh, we must not study Bible doctrines because Bible doctrines divide people. So don't study about doctrines. don't study about foundations. It's all about how good you feel in your relationship with God. Feelings come and feelings go, but the foundations are so very, very important. So that's the first thing they started to do. They built the foundation. And there's an interesting part over there, you know, when it says, you know, when, uh, in verse 3, it says, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on the foundation. Okay. Despite their fear. In other words, you remember there were people already there. You know? The poor people were left behind, you know, and they say, okay, you can continue to stay there. So maybe in these ruins, some of these people would have you know, done their own thing, you know, worshipped in their way that they wanted to. So once they have come in, they have to say, hey, look, all that was wrong. Now you need to restart it. So maybe whatever things they had, they had to break it down before the altar was done and because of, before the foundations were laid. So there would have been problems. There would have been problems. And this is something that we need to learn. Before foundations are put, all the rubble, the wrong stuff, the wrong belief that has been gathered over the years has to be removed. Remember when Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem? You know there was so much of rubble that had you know, gathered under it. So if you're going to build a foundation, you know, a wall on a rubble, it's not going to stand. If you're going to have a strong foundation, if you have to build a big building, if you notice people do pile foundation, they have to get deep into the soil. That's what foundation is all about. Building a foundation oftentimes may start off with, you a, know, a re-education, you changing the wrong beliefs that you have held over a period of time. How do you know what the right beliefs are? Again, it is found in God's word. So ask yourself, do you have the right foundations? Have you spent time analyzing your foundations, your belief? Do you know why you are believing, what you are believing? Have reasons for your faith. If it is not there, it is soon, your faith will soon collapse. Remember, this is happening in the second month. It says in the second month, this is what they started doing, the building of the uh, foundations. Now this is also important because it was the second month that Solomon began to build the temple. In 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1, we read in the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. So they remembered all these things. These are all significant events. It's a good time. It's a good time. Maybe some important days in your life, some milestones in your life. You look back. Maybe on the day that you came to know Christ, and then you're looking back so many years, you know, how are you today? It's a good time for a recommitment to ensure that your foundations are clear. Or maybe it's some anniversary, or birthday, or wedding, whatever it is, you know, or the day that you got a job or promotion, and you're looking at all those milestones and saying, Lord, I thank you for what you did. But it's high time that I do some self-examination, so that's the first thing that they it did now the starting off of the work was to rebuild the foundations, and this was also a logical time to do it because this was the the spring harvest of barley was over and the dry season was starting. so the builders who already had completed their agricultural responsibilities would have definitely time to help in the construction work, okay, so the starting off of the work was to build the foundation. Before the whole temple is done, the starting is important. Before you build your spiritual life, foundations are important. Foundations take a long time. If you have seen construction work, you for high-rise apartments, they are digging and digging and digging, putting so much of pile foundation, you wonder how long how this is going to go on. But foundations are important. If the foundations are not built up, the building will soon collapse. How strong are your foundations? Secondly, look at the commitment of the workmen. Verse 8 and 9 says, For the workmen had their work to do, so had the priests and the Levites, as well as all the people. Okay? This is like a teamwork. Everybody had their responsibilities. Okay? The priests were there, the Levites were there, plus all the people. And if you notice in chapter second, you know, we looked at all the divisions and how many people were there. So, there was definitely a division of labor. There was also a commitment to get the job done. And that's what the New Testament concept of a church is all about, isn't it? The church is not just a place that you go to to sit down. The church is a body where you minister one to the other to build up one another. So the building up takes place when you are ministering one to the other, not just sitting and listening. That is why even today, when we have issues about just uh, the online services, a lot of people are questioning, is this what church is all about? Church is not just listening to a message. Church is a body which involves ministering to each other. Thirdly, you have that all this was recorded. Verses 10 to 13, the Bible tells us, you know, when the foundation was laid, the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off." (laughs) Completed? Only the foundation was laid. And as soon as the foundation was laid, they did not wait until the building was done to praise the Lord. And even though laying the foundation was significant, there was still a lot of work to be done. It will be many years before the temple was finished. This is only the first step. This is only the first step and then they stop to thank God. It is that little step that really matters, okay? Don't wait to thank God after the all is done, okay? When you have taken that first step and said, Lord, even this day, i recommit myself to you, I have strayed away, I have wandered away, that first step should be a point of rejoicing. What do they do? First of all, you find there was re- celebration. they sang, they Sang. The priests and the Levites and you know, and you know, sang to the Lord, praise the Lord, and the people responded with a loud shout. Now, they must have sung songs from the Psalms in you know, Psalms, it says you know, similar to in Psalm 136, because he is good, for his mercy endures forever. He is good, his love to Israel endures forever. Now the Psalms were basically the song book, you know, the hymn book for the children of Israel. Again, an important truth, okay? Doctrines are present in the Psalms as they sing. And even today, when we are singing in celebration, you know, learn to use the hymns that are there, which express, you know, what you believe and why you believe. And that is how celebration would come in, meaningfully. It is not repetition of just some line again and again and again so that you feel celebration, but you know, focusing on the words which speak about what God has done for us, which can bring from our hearts a genuine celebration of thanksgiving. Also along with the celebration, there was a lamentation. There was a lamentation, the scripture tells us, you know, there were people who were sighing you know many of the older priests and levites and family heads who had seen the fall of the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy one group had celebration they sang but the other group you know were lamenting they were sighing Maybe the younger generation who had not seen, not seen what the temple looked like, you know, because they were born in captivity, Oh, they were happy, it's going to be a new beginning. But the older guys who had seen that, you know, they were still stuck in the past. They were still stuck in the past. They were not seeing what God was going to do today. This is why there is a, the importance for both the older as well as the younger generation. The younger generation has that emotions and the push to say, hey, God is doing a new thing. Sometimes the older people can get stuck and say, hey, this is what God did in the past. Now what is happening is in you know, a way, way, in you know, a sort of, you know, not even remotely connected, and you know, it is so bad. And then they sigh. No, no. There has to be rejoicing, even among these people. Also, on the other hand, we can also, you know. Uh look at these uh, know, people who would have been crying or weeping tears of joy you know, to understand that what it was and now we're going to start all over again. You know, because remember the temple is not yet done, it's only the foundation. So looking at a foundation you know, on what is going to be, it could very well have also been tears of joy. Lord, we have taken the first step. You know, we knew what it was earlier, how you worked through this temple, and we are going to trust you for what's going to happen in the future as well. So when we take our first step to respond back to God, that is definitely celebration of singing. There would also be at times maybe sign and saying, oh, you know, those were the days. A lot of people look back and say, those were the days, isn't it? No, no, don't do that. Look into the future. Don't get stuck in the past. Thirdly, there was a proclamation. There was celebration. There was lamentation, and then there was a proclamation. They shouted. The scripture tells us, you know, and because the people made so much noise, the sound was heard far, far away. Okay, the cry of disappointment you know, soon changed into shouts of joy. Shouts of joy. Why? Because new beginning. It's going to be a new beginning. Is that what you need to do this evening, you know? Starting all over again, no. Don't keep looking back on the past and saying, I wish it was, you know, different. No, look into the future because God is a God of hope who is able to change whatever has happened in the past to change it into something better for the future. Four life lessons from this passage this evening. Number one, yield your memories And your dreams to the Lord. Yield your memories and your dreams to the Lord. Was your past better and happier than your present? Yield that to the Lord. Was your past filled with sadness and pain? Yield that to the Lord. And do you have great dreams and hopes and plans for the future? It is good to dream. Dream big. But even give that to the Lord and lay it all at his feet and say, Lord, Let your will be done. So take your past with your happiness and sadness. Take your future with all the unlimited possibilities that are there and give it all to the Lord and say, God, you are the God of yesterday. You are the God of tomorrow. And I yield both my yesterdays and my tomorrows into your hands. So yield them all to God and say, Lord, I submit myself to you. Secondly. Accept your present situation as from the Lord. Accept your present situation as from the Lord. To accept does not mean a passive resignation of the problems of life. Okay. This is not a call to say, I give up. Okay. But it means accepting the reality that you are where you are right now because this is where God wants you to be, that God is the one who is sovereign. If God wanted you to be somewhere else, you would be somewhere else, okay? Once you have understood the sovereignty of God in our lives, then we are not upset. We are willing to yield ourselves to him, knowing that he has the best in store for us. Whatever has happened, he has the best in store for us. So we accept that present situation from God. Thirdly, resolve to obey God right where you are. Resolve. To obey God right where you are. Disappointment may cause us to become bitter, and bitterness can make us lethargic to step ahead. A Lot of people give up because they say, hey, this has been too tough, this is what has happened, I expected this, it didn't work out, so what's the point of moving forward? No, no, don't give up on life. There is much ahead in store. Now the best is yet to come. So resolve in your heart that you will obey God right way, or whatever situation you may be in, no excuses, no delays, okay? If things aren't what you wish it would be, you know, still trust in God and move on ahead. Worship God and also work in the areas that God has given you opportunities. And fourthly, praise God for his goodness in spite of your circumstances. Can we, with full assurance, say, God is good? We sing that song all the time, God is good. But can we honestly, when we are going through whatever situation in life, affirm that God is good? God's goodness is proved not only in what he gives, but also in what he allows. Hard times are hard precisely because they force us out of our comfort zone and push us into times to trust in God. In other words, we are moving from a a classroom setting of what we know in our heads into a practical understanding of those principles in our daily life. Someone has said that one can learn about sailing in the classroom, but it takes rough seas to make a great sailor. One can learn about sailing in the classroom but it takes rough seas to make a great sailor. You can learn about driving, you know, all the rules, but you have to get onto the road. You may have learned on your own in a, in a driver's vehicle, you know, driving school vehicle, but you have to get onto the road in your own car. Practical is what is going to prove whether what you have learned is correct or not, okay. so. When you, as you come to you know, the end of our study this evening, a couple of things you must definitely understand. First of all, God's grace is so great that no matter how far we may have gone away, away from our moorings, you know, there is always a possibility of a new beginning. God is merciful. God is gracious. He brought back the children of Israel after 70 years, after 70 years. And when they came back, none of them could say, hey, look here, you know, we did it. No, no. They recognized it was not them at all. It was only the grace of God that brought them back. And that's the important lesson that we must learn. Our spiritual walk with God, he is the one who works in us. It is not, you know, we have done something great. Coming back to him also is a step that he works in our hearts. And I believe if this evening God speaks to our hearts and says, come back to him, then if you are willing to do that, if you are willing to do that, take that step. God says, I'm here waiting with open arms so that God and God alone will get the glory. Remember, tiny acorns grow into mighty oaks. When God wanted to save the world, he started with a baby in a manger. Small beginnings are no hindrance to the Lord. Take that small step, you know, and you will know what God can do in and through your life. How long are you going to allow your future to be defined by your past? How long will you choose to stay in your disappointment? Don't despise your present because it's not what you wanted it to be or because it's not what your past used to be. Lay your disappointments at the foot of the cross. Let Jesus have them. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there and give thanks to the Lord for His blessings. And then, by God's grace, move forward in your life determined to serve the Lord. Believe in your heart that the best that God has for you is still. A couple of application questions as we close this evening. Number one, in your church and in your life, have you put things first? How prominent are sacrifice and prayer in your life? What can you do to make these higher priorities in your life? What are some of the things you count as part of the glory days of your church? Are these things part of the foundations that new generation should build upon? Or are they things that you need to give thanks for, but let go so that God can do something new? Thirdly, things you don't like about your church. Are you doing anything to help? Or are you letting a critical spirit discourage you? And finally, number four, in considering your financial commitment to your church, compare how concerned you are about your own life and the life of your church? Do you agree that your spirit will never be at rest until you care as much about God's house as much as you do your own? And what difference will this make in your financial contribution to your church? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word to us this evening. We thank you for your call to come back to you, That your Loving heart, your loving hands welcome us back, just as much as you brought the children of Israel after 70 years, and they came back and started with that small beginning of putting you first by building the altar. And when they put that first, life began to flow, to build the foundation, there was so much of rejoicing. We pray, Lord, that as we take the small steps, even this evening, to get back to the first love, to get back to our first priorities, put back the altar as the center in our lives, put back you as the center in our lives, make sure that our foundations are strong. We pray, Lord, that especially in these last days, you would prepare us for your coming, so that when any moment you call us home, we would be ready. And we would have no regrets. We give ourselves into your hands. Help us, Lord, to make the necessary commitments in our lives, even this evening. But we ask this with thanksgiving in Jesus' precious name. Amen.